As cities grew bigger over time, so too did the domains of the Nosferatu. In the 18th century, the catacombs of Paris are said to have housed a large brood of the sewer rats who supposedly helped wanted criminals escape the law by hiding them underground. Some say that these Nosferatu also supported the French Revolution, resentful of the degenerates who held sway in the Parisian courts and wanting to get back at the Toreador for their arrogance. Likewise, as the industries and slums of major cities expanded at an alarming rate in the 19th century, ample opportunity for a new Nosferatu lifestyle arose. Nicknamed Faggins after Dickens' fictional character, these sewer rats were often embraced from the stock of criminals and other lowlives, and because of the maze-like slums of the cities at the time, they could form criminal empires and rule over them as undead kings and queens without ever having to see the sun. While still not entirely uncommon in the modern day, the mantle of these fagins has since then been mostly picked up by the creeps, the Sabat Nosferatu. They, unlike their Camarilla cousins, don't care much for hiding in the sewers, preferring to make their domain amongst the destitute and broken of the cities they live in. That being said, the creeps and sewer rats are surprisingly similar in many regards. Amongst the Sabbat, they are even considered one of the most human of the Antitribu, often having more of a personal reason for being in the Sabbat than a purely ideological one. Among the Nosferatu themselves, while there may be disputes on certain topics, most of their kind is welcome into a warren unless they've been explicitly banned. This means that at any given time, even in the most secure of Camarilla cities, a Nosferatu antitribu could guest for a few nights, perhaps paying for their stay by sharing stories of their travels or reputed sightings of their old enemy. The Nosferatu often make their havens in the worst parts of a city. Sometimes that is the sewer system, other times it's slums, a decrepit graveyard, or the old industrial ruins. The one consistency is that there is a distinct isolation from the rest of vampiric society, whether it be Sabat or Camarilla, and that it's usually in poor condition. Most vampires, young as well as old, believe this to be because that's where they belong. That they are forced to dwell in these cesspits of human waste in order to keep them away from the cleaner, prettier kindred. Some even hold deep sympathy for the poor souls cursed with horrendous appearance and ostracized from vampire society. They couldn't be further from the truth. And while the consensus amongst most vampires is that the Nosferatu often come with smells and looks, making them unfit for good company, very few would actually dare to force them to stay down there. As we've learned, for as long as there have been sewers, the Nosferatu have dwelled in them. Very much by choice, in fact. While it's certainly good for hiding from mortals and thus preserve the masquerade, many Nosferatu are masters of obfuscate, a discipline that allows them to travel above ground mostly undetected by normal means. At higher levels, they may even appear like humans effortlessly, hiding their true nature from those they hunt. No, the Nosferatu hide underground because it allows them to pursue their own goals with very little interference from the outside world. You won't find one of the Blue Bloods making a sojourn into the city's water treatment plant just to check up on the Nosferatu primogen, nor will any sheriff spend hours trying to count the ghouled animals and homeless you can find down there. There is also the ever-present threat of the Niktuku hanging over the sewer rats' heads, meaning that the innermost chambers are often virtual fortresses of automated defenses, booby traps and ghouled guard animals. The rumored giant albino alligators hiding in sewer systems might not be too far from the truth, and sometimes swarms of rats or cockroaches may move as one, controlled from afar by their Nosferatu masters. 
The Nosferatu used so-called spawning pools to create these multitudes of ghouls. By spilling their vitae into pools of water where animals are known to drink or reside, they create over time a vast amount of loyal pets who provide countless eyes and ears to spy through for those Nosferatu with a penchant for the discipline animalism. Because of their habitats, many Nosferatu also play host to parasites and insects who feed off of their blood. If you've ever been attacked by a swarm of angry hornets, you can imagine why these sewer rats tolerate and even promote their presence. The Nosferatu transformation takes a heavy toll on the victim's mind. It is a painful, drawn-out process that is unique in its depravity for every individual. Some traits seem to be hereditary, but nothing is ever for certain when it comes to Absimiliard's curse. Skin grows papery and dry, skulls cave in or elongate, spines break and mold in unsightly ways, and limbs grow or shrink. Nasal cavities collapse, teeth elongate or fall out, only to be replaced by crooked, malformed fangs, making speaking difficult. Some say that the Nosferatu are the only clan who show the ugliness of vampirism on the outside, which may be true, but that does not necessarily mean they are good on the inside. Nosferatu may show a distinctly unvampiric concern about others of their kind, but calling them nice is a mistake. Few clans embrace others in order to explicitly torture or teach them a lesson after all, but the Cleopatra is unliving proof of the Nosferatu's twisted sense of humor. Often a beautiful and happy person, albeit with a vein of arrogance or pride, the Cleopatra is embraced to punish them for their vanity and shallowness. As their beauty melts away into warts, tumors and pustulance, the Cleopatra learns that beauty is after all only skin deep. Either they will become better people for it, or resentful and hate-filled misanthropes. And if nothing else, it provides the sewerettes with weeks of entertainment. Some Nosferatu, particularly those recently embraced, tend to become martyrs. They see their transformation as punishment for their wicked ways, and seek to make up for it by protecting the weak, upholding the masquerade, and atoning for their sins, real or imagined. This heroism rarely lasts for long, many eventually becoming jaded with their existence to the point where being an anti-hero loses its appeal. But a truly dedicated martyr might actually improve the world around them, even if only on a small scale. In contrast to the martyrs, you have the Leatherfaces. Deranged killers driven mad either by their change or bad apples even before their embrace. The Leatherface fully embraces their monstrous outside, reveling in the fear and loathing they cause as they murder their way from victim to victim. Most Nosferatu consider these twisted creatures too big of a risk to keep alive, and their presence in a city can bring a whole brood of sewer rats together to deal with them. Not only are they obvious threats to the masquerade, meaning that any prince who hears about them know exactly who to blame, they can also catch the attention of their antediluvians' firstborns. Skins prefer to mingle with the humans they once belonged to, to spy on them, learn about them, pretend to be them. Sometimes they even forget who they are, spending so much time using obfuscate to hide amongst the mortals that they lose touch with their true selves. These poor souls have a hard time coming to terms with their curse, and eventually most of them crash hard, when they are no longer able to keep up the charade. There are also those Nosferatu who call themselves lore masters. Obsessed with secrets, history, and lore, they ply their trade with others, both in the clan and outside, using information as currency. Some are nodist scholars, others study the very curse of vampirism, or even other supernatural creatures. 
These are but a few of the many ways Nosferatu culture expresses itself. Some devote themselves entirely to the art of spycraft, trading in secrets, while others serve as advisors to those princes who see their value, offering insight into issues both moral and physical in nature. Ultimately, the clan of Nosferatu are as complex and multifaceted as any other, if not more. Having been shown the true horror of their curse firsthand, they are often more pragmatic, if perhaps cynical. They've seen what the world flushed down their toilet, and so few things still surprise them. Finally, Shreknet deserves some more attention. Originally designed by Gerard Raffin, a Nosferatu of New York, it is a network which piggybacks on normal internet traffic. As more and more new talent were brought into the clan, the Nosferatu expanded and worked continuously on their network in order to provide a world-spanning database of secrets and information, available to both Camarilla and Sabat Nosferatu. Although originally meant to store and spread reports of Niktuku sightings, it soon allowed for complex communications as well as means to plan and schedule operations over great distances. Members of other clans were also given limited access over time, and collaboration with the hacktivist Thaumaturgis of the Tremere, amongst others, has seen the massive network see more and more use. One can only wonder what would happen if, in today's world of data surveillance, a government agency would find this massive collection of vampiric data. Once again, I'd like to thank Hadi Wunschland for helping me out with this video. If you haven't already, I strongly urge to go show her your support and check out her Masquerade Monday videos, where she goes in-depth into the lore of Vampire the Masquerade. In my next video, we will return to Werewolf the Apocalypse, where I will discuss in detail the creation of a new werewolf and their acceptance into a sept. I would also like to thank the Ancillae, Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, and Harry Wyckoff, as well as my loyal neonates for their continued support. And thank you for watching. Now be careful out there, for Gehenna may soon be upon us.